Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Good morning, everyone. My name is Lisa Davis, and I serve on the hospitality team here at the Way. Which, side note, if anyone's interested in serving, please see me after church. <laughs> have uh, noticed something, but we need y'all to get involved. There's plenty of service opportunities. Sign up. It'll be awesome. Thanks, Lisa. Sure. Um, I will be reading from Psalms chapter 27, verses 7 through 9 this morning. Lord, hear my voice when I call. Be gracious to me and answer me. My heart says this about you. Seek his face. Lord, I will seek your face. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper Do not leave me or abandon me, God of my salvation. Right. Thank you, Lisa. Father, we thank you. Thank you for what you're doing in this place. Thank you for your word, Father. And right now, we just ask that you remove any distractions to help us just to worship and focus on you. And as the psalmist says, seek your face, Father, creating us a desperation for more of you. Father, we thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for just your amazing love that you have for us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may have a seat. Thank you, Lisa. As Lisa said, we're going to be in Psalm 27. Our main text is verses 7 through 9 this morning. We're continuing this series in the Psalms called Summer in the Psalms. And if you're taking notes, you can title this sermon specifically, Prayer for God's Presence. Prayer for God's Presence. And we'll be in... Verse 7 here in just a minute, but just to get us kicked off, if you're in Psalm 27, I just want to look at verse 1 for a minute, and it's going to launching point for the rest of what we're going to look at this morning. Verse 1 here in Psalm 27 says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is my stronghold in my life. Whom shall I dread? And I love this because if you're familiar with the Bible, this sounds a lot like the Old Testament version of Romans 8. Romans 8 simply says, if God is for us, right, you know this, if God's for us, who can be against us? Who can separate us from the love of God? Can affliction, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or sword, or danger? He says, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And we see a boldness here, and this boldness that we see in Psalm 27 and in Romans 8 is available for every believer. Do you guys know that? Like, this boldness is available for everyone who believes. That's what I want to look at this morning. But this boldness, as we see in both Psalm 27 and Romans 8, comes from only having a laser-like focus on the Lord. That's what we see. Look at verse 1 in Psalm 27. The Lord. Romans 8, verse 31. If God. It all starts there. God brings a boldness, but it comes from a laser-like focus on the Lord. And Hebrews 12 helped clarify what this looks like. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, simply says, Let us lay aside every hindrance and sin that so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Let me just pause there for a second. The It's been thought of and known as Apostle Paul probably wrote Hebrews. Whoever it was, I'm convinced it is, 
But what I like about the Apostle Paul, one, it's not because he was an amazing evangelist, that God did amazing things, extremely bold, dedicated his life to anything that was to the Lord, sacrificed, all that amazing. But more so, he obviously loved sports. Just did. You see so many illustrations that come from sports, right? And man, I'm excited because it's almost football season. Like there's only one season in the year, it's football season. Everything else is just waiting for football season, right? They use this illustration of running a race. He's talking about life. This life that we live is like a race. He says, let's run with endurance the race that lies before us. And he talks about these hindrances that so easily ensnare us. But he says this in verse 2. He says, keeping our eyes on Jesus. So run the race, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And there was a season in my life that I never want to relive again. It was high school, but more specifically, track. I ran track for one year. Didn't do it again because it was awful. And my coach had me run the 800 meters. And he gave me one great tip that's been very influential in the rest of my life. Because I was oftentimes behind people. So I wasn't winning, so this tip was very helpful. But he said, just have your eyes focused on the guy in front of you. And as you run, just Basically, reel him in with your eyes. Imagine you're reeling him in. So just focus on that guy. And as you pass him, because there's plenty of people in front of me, focus on the next guy, right? In the same way, in a very similar way, that's what he's saying in Hebrews 12. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. But it's interesting because he talks about all these hindrances. And the hindrances really are what draws our attention in life. And I think about the same illustration on running this works, works really well, like in my track illustration, Right? There's nothing in front of me. It's flat. So basically, I can run and look straight ahead. The race. Now, in my adult life, I've taken on a new hobby, sport, BMX racing, bike racing. I cannot do that same thing. I can't just focus on the guy in front of me. Again, I have plenty of people in front of me. I can't just focus on the guy in front of me because now I have all these obstacles. Right? So now I have to focus on the obstacles and the guy or I'm going to end up over my handlebars at some point. Right? So this is a much more like life for me. Because you have all these things coming at you. So where's your focus at? I can't focus on obstacles, the guide, the turns, my bike, pedaling. You can't focus on them all at once. So where do we focus? And this is what life seems like sometimes, or maybe it's just me. All these things are coming at you, and it's hard to maintain focus. But through it all, Hebrews 12 says, keep your eyes focused, fixed on Jesus. And so my question for us is, is there anything hindering your race of faith? Or in other words, is there anything drawing you from focusing your faith on Jesus? Anything pulling you away? Anything distracting you? And as I was thinking through the hindrances and these in things that ensnare us so easily, I'm convinced one of our main hindrances, one of the main traps that we fall into is distraction. A lot of distractions. And I'm wondering if you're distracted. And this is an hour-by-hour hour thing, distractions. So what's keeping our eyes being fixed on Jesus? I'm convinced, distractions. And so let me just give you some examples of what distractions may be in your life. Money. Is money a distraction? And listen, we need money, right? Money is a great resource, it's a great thing, but it can be a distraction if your life is devoted to getting it or devoted to not losing it. What about your success? It can be a distraction, being successful. 
notoriety, popularity, acceptance. You're so dedicated to acceptance and approval from other people, that can be your life's work. Because that's just interesting about being accepted or being approved, because you can actually do things that you think people like in hopes of being approved or accepted. It can be a distraction. How about your career, your school? How about your family? Like, all these things are good in their own ways, at their own levels, but rightly so, right? In their right ways. We take these things and let them be our sole focus. So even your family, that's a sense of issue because, man, you're supposed to be caring and nourishing your family. And at the same time, is that your life's devotion? Well, God would say no. Your devotion is to the Lord himself. I was thinking about this, and you've heard me use these examples before, but I'm just convinced adults are just taller versions of toddlers. Just convinced. The more I see my toddlers, I'm like, yeah, I've, I do that too, just in a bigger version. But it's so funny, like, so getting them to put on their shoes. Like, if we're getting ready to go to the grocery store, right, ask my little guy, I'll go put your shoes on. He'll run away, comes back with some Legos. Those aren't shoes, so what happened? Go put your shoes on. He runs away and then doesn't come back. So now you got to hunt him down, and he's in his room playing with his cars, right? Distracted. But then, man, if we're going to the park, hey, go put your shoes on, go in the park. He puts his shoes on, and he's dragging me out the door, right? That's something he wants to do. But distractions, and I'm just convinced, man, I do the same thing. It just looks a little different. Distractions. Horse racing is interesting, and I just come do some research on this for whatever reason, but horse racing, right? A lot of horse races, and horses wear these called, things called blinders or blinkers, depending on where you're from. I'm not a horse guy, so whatever you want to call those things. But they go over the horse's eyes to an extent. Not a whole, but over a part of their eyes, right? And it's interesting because horses are by nature nervous animals. And so their nervousness creates distractions because they're nervous about everything that's going on around them. And so these blinders helps calm the horse down because it eliminates a lot of distractions, help them to focus on what the task is ahead, specifically the race. And many people think that actually improves the, rate, the horse's racing ability because what? They're not distracted. They're focusing on the race. It helps the horses have more of a laser-like focus in the race they're running. So I wonder if we're honest enough because I think about two comparisons. Instead of a laser-like focus of our faith, I believe if we're honest, admit it in church, right? We can, I think we can do that sometimes. That our focus, our faith, looks more, less like a laser-focused faith and potentially more like a flashlight-focused faith. And you're saying, please explain because that makes no sense. Glad to. That's why I'm here. So laser-focused faith, man, a laser just keeps on going at one point, right? You can endanger low-flying aircraft with lasers, right? It's focused on one point and one point only. It's not going to illuminate anything. It's just focused on the point, fixing our eyes on Jesus versus a flashlight. It, it's focused, but as it goes, it broadens, right? And so now you're only focused on one thing. It's a whole bunch of things, which can be helpful, but in the illustration I'm using, it's not, okay? That's what we're going with here. Because think about his life. Instead of focusing on Jesus, you got Jesus and. You got Jesus and money problems. You got Jesus and marriage. You got Jesus and 
my kids got to go to college, how in the world we're going to do that? You got Jesus and health concerns. You got Jesus and you, you name it. And so now all your attention starts getting shifted. You can't focus on it all. So it shifts. And as your focus, faith shifts, your feelings fluctuate. You ever experienced that? I'm just convinced this flashlight type faith leads to a few things. Leads to fear. Leads to frustrations. Maybe because you're not getting what you want. And it leads to failures. Because then as you start looking at all these different things, you start following what you think is right in your own eyes. And so not only can we not keep our own standards at times, which makes us frustrated, but then we fall short of God's standards. Notice the psalmist, this boldness here in Psalm 27 comes from a faith focused on the Father. That's the whole Psalm 27 is the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. It drives it all. And if you see four points of his just confession of confidence in the Lord. Verse 1, you see, whom shall I fear? The point is no one. Whom shall I dread? The point is no one. Verse 3, my heart will not be afraid. I will still be confident. This all comes from the Father, the Lord Himself. But instead of this laser-focused faith, if we're honest, our faith can be more like the flashlight-type faith, which ultimately leads to a fading faith. So the question is, what do we do? What do we do when we find that our faith has faded and has been replaced with fear, frustrations, and even failures? What do we do? Well, the psalmist here, the psalm is written like a kind of, well, I would classify maybe a, a kind of confidence club sandwich. Okay, that's what I'm going with here. This is what I mean. So Psalm 1, you see that this beginning in Psalm 1 and 14, there's a confidence in the Lord. Again, Psalm 1, or Psalm 27, verse 1 says, The Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold of my life. Whom shall I dread? And in Psalm 27, verse 14, he says, Wait for the Lord, be strong, let your heart be courageous, wait for the Lord. You have this confidence that he has that book ends, Psalm 27, but then right in the middle, there's a calling out for the Lord's presence. Almost seems like it doesn't fit in this psalm. You have confidence and confidence in, Lord, I need you. And man, when I was thinking about this, I feel like this is my life, right? Like, Lord willing, today after worship, you will leave this place really saying God was in this place, being refreshed by His Spirit, and feeling confident in the Lord. And then you'll wake up Monday morning when the alarm clock goes off and be like, Lord, I need you, right? I need you. Where are you? Hear me. Don't forsake me. I need you. It's Monday, right? I guess it's my faith. Back and forth. And I think this is something that he's getting at as well, is that just his presence, he needs the Lord's presence. He needs it. So he's confident, confident, but I still need you. I need you. I need you. And so again, let's look at Psalm 27, 7 through 9 one more time. So I want to dig a couple of points out of this in our time together. Again, Verse 7 starts with, Lord, hear my voice when I call. Be gracious to me and answer me. My heart says this about you. Seek his face. Lord, I will seek your face. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not leave me or abandon me, God of my salvation. So notice who the Lord turn, or who the psalmist turns to. Turns to the Lord. And don't miss this. 
The psalmist here, the psalmist is credited to David. He has a clear desperation for the Lord's presence. He is desperate for the Lord's presence. And my question for us this morning is, are we? Are we desperate for the Lord's presence? I mean, we talk about we want to see revival and we, saw, we want to see God do amazing things and we just don't see God work like he used to. You know what? God's still the same God. Is just we're not desperate enough for him. So we fit him in this little Sunday morning box sometimes. But we're not desperate. Man, you want to see God move in amazing ways in your life personally? Start being desperate for the Lord. There's a clear desperation. He says in verse 8, my heart says this about you. Seek his face. This is his desire. Seek his face. And he says, Lord, I will seek your face. So three things I want us to see in verse 8. Number one, my heart. Biblically speaking, the heart and mind were intertwined. Both intellect and emotions were both intact. When you hear the verbiage heart or mind, it was they intertwined together. It wasn't just all emotions, or mind wasn't just all intellect. It was tied together. Number two, you see seek. Let me ask you this. Who's played the game of hide and seek ever in their life, ever? Okay? Okay, those, really, there's some people that didn't raise your hands. Either, uh, listen, you're more Baptist than you think, or you got to live a little bit, right? Hide and seek. So there's a key aspect of hide and seek is that some people hide and then there's usually one person that does what seeks right have you ever played a game of hide and seek where you're hiding and the person didn't seek like seriously i've been sitting here for 30 minutes is anybody going to come look at me not fun right somebody has to actually go and try and find the people that hide and full disclosure my little guys love playing hide and seek and there's sometimes dad is just tired right and so like yeah go hide buddy and as I see his feet sticking out from the curtains because he's hiding real well, uh, I lay on the floor. Are you behind the chair? No, I'm not there. You know, behind the couch? No, I don't see. Like, I'm just being lazy. But it's not hide and sit, right? Hide and seek. It's active. It's going. It's looking for. It's pursuing. There's action and intentionality behind the word seek. And this is fills the Bible. It fills what Jesus taught to be a follower of His. He says, follow me. That means continue. Continue to do that. It wasn't just stop, okay, you believe in me, good, go do what you want. It means you believe in me, now trust me and follow me. The other night that I took our, my five-year-old with us to the Flying Squirrels baseball game, and we're navigating a crowd, and I was carrying nachos and a drink, and I couldn't hold his hand because my hands were full. And I wasn't going to let him carry the nachos because I wasn't going to allow him to drop my $20 plate of nachos. You know what I'm saying? That's just crazy. I'll lose him before I lose my nachos. Anyway. But I told him, stay close to me. Right? Follow me, but you need to stay close. So the whole time I'm following, stay close, stay close. And he would try a little bit like, Zeke, go back over here. Right? Because it's crowded. But man, as I was thinking through that, this is what Jesus calls us to, to stay close to him, to follow him. John 15, he says, remain in me. This is continuing to pursue him. He says, I am the vine, you're the branches, the one who remains in me, and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. And this is what people who know Jesus and all throughout biblical history knew. 
And the psalmist of Psalm 27 knew that I need the Lord because I can do nothing without Him. In other words, here in Psalm 27, the psalmist is clearly saying, I cannot do anything without you, nor do I want anything but you. And I wonder if that's our cry. I can do nothing without you, and I want nothing but you. I wonder if God is enough for us, Him alone. It changes everything. And this is what Moses says in Exodus 33. God tells Moses, lead people, there's a promised land flowing with milk and honey, go. And Moses says, if your presence does not go, don't make us go. Man, when you know the Lord, you don't want to go anywhere without the Lord. Because you realize there's nothing better. I don't want my plans. I want His plans. And this is the heart posture that changes everything. Changes everything. It doesn't change everything that happens to you, but it does change how you handle everything that happens to you. Now, I can't like tell you that until you experience it. And you can't experience it until you finally come to a desperation for, Lord, I need you. I need you and nothing else. I need you. So you have this word, seek. And then finally, number three, face. Now, I was thinking about this face. It's funny that my now two-year-old, when she was a little bit younger, would want dad's attention, so I'd be holding her. And she just grabbed my face and turned it towards. And I'd look away, she grabbed my face and like, look at me, you know. But this face is common terminology throughout the Bible referring to the Lord's presence. The Lord's presence, seeking his face, seeking the Lord's presence. And the psalmist is communicating a desire to be in the Lord's presence. And it begs the question, aren't we always in the Lord's presence? Like, are you thinking that? Because I was thinking, aren't we always in the Lord's presence? Isn't that always true? Why would you be asking for the Lord's presence if we're always in the Lord's presence? Well, listen, I got an answer for you. Yes, yes, and no. Are we always in the Lord's presence? Listen, I'm a pastor. I give several answers for one question. That's what I do. Yes, yes, and no. Yes, we're always in the Lord's presence, generally speaking. He's everywhere. sees everyone. The psalm 139, verse 7 and 8 says, Where can I flee from your presence? Where can I, if I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shul, you are there. So he's saying, Everywhere that I go, you are there. I can't go anywhere without you being there. This is who God is. Let me give you an encouragement. Parents, uh, so this has been commonly used as a caution to your kids for them not to do stupid things, right? Listen, you're all your friends. Remember, God's there, right? He's watching it. When you go on a date, listen, God's there. Watching watch what you guys are doing, right? And there's truth to that. But how much more versus caution should it be encouragement? That wherever you go, God's there. So yes, generally speaking, everywhere, everyone, God's there. Yes, number two, and more special, specifically, always there for his own. And this is what Jesus points to when he asks, tells his disciples, remember. right? Remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew 28, verse 20. I don't know, I am with you always. That's a long time in a lot of places. Have you thought about that? I am with you always. 
And this is not a, I'm watching over you, so make sure you do what you're supposed to do and don't do what you're not. But it's much more of, I am with you always. I am there with you. I'm there for you. You are not alone. And this is after he says, go make disciples. Go dedicate your life to making me known for my glory and for other people's good, and I am with you always until I return. It's going to be hard. It's going to be good. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be joys. I'm with you through it all. So yes, yes. And is God's presence always there? There's also a no. God's presence isn't always there. God's sinlessness separates himself from our sinfulness. Sin causes separation. That's what we see at the very beginning of all history. Genesis 3, sin causes separation. Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2 says it clearly. It says, indeed, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save. And his ear is not too deaf to hear. means he can save any, anyone at any point, and he can hear everything at any point. But it says this, but your iniquities are separating you from your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not listen. So is God always present? Yes. But there's a no. Our sin separates us from God. God is present, but you don't always have God's presence. There's a difference. And this is the psalmist gets to, Lord, I need you. I will seek your presence because I need you. I'm desperate for you. So we don't, God is present, but we always have his presence. So what do we do with that? Again, Psalm 27, verse 8. Seek his face. That's what we do. Seek his face. And James 4, verse 8, clarifies it even more. For me, I like things really clear because I'm not super fast on the pickup sometimes. You know what I'm saying? So I need things clear. My wife can tell you. She really needs to dumb things down for me sometimes. Honey, listen. This is what this means, right? So I like things clear. James 4, 8 simply says, draw near to God. Right? Seek his face. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This is the good news of the whole gospel. Draw near to God. You come to God, and he will come to you, draw near to you. But James 4, verse 8 doesn't stop there. Usually we stop there because that's good news. I like that. Draw near to God. He draws near to you. Then it says this. This is your encouragement for this morning. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So we like to come to God like on our terms, but God doesn't say that. Come close, come near, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you, but you can't bring your sin with you. You got to surrender that. And this is what the good news is, is confession brings cleansing. And this is what we see in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he, being God, is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that word all is key because that's a lot of things. I don't know what you've been through, what you're doing, what you've done, but there's nothing that you have done to outsend God's grace. 
Nothing. You come to him with all the garbage, and he's faithful and righteous to forgive and to cleanse all sin and all unrighteousness. This is the good news of the gospel. You can do nothing to make yourself righteous, but Jesus in his perfection did that for us. 1 Peter 2.24 says, talking about Jesus, he himself bore our sins. He took on our sins in his body on the tree. Meaning, he died on the cross for your sin and my sin. All of it. He says, it is finished. Means to tell us, I paid in full. The payment for our sin has been paid. Only payment that he can make that we couldn't. The perfect sacrifice. I can't have a perfect morning. And Jesus had a perfect life to have a perfect sacrifice to pay the price for my imperfections. So that everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. And that life starts at the moment you believe. I don't care how old you are. The moment you believe, the gospel is so simple. And the Spirit works in such a powerful way. He brings anyone to faith that would humble themselves and call upon the Lord and say, Lord, I need you. And he is faithful and righteous to forgive us and cleanse us. And so we have this lifestyle of following and seeking him. And this is what I know, both biblically and experientially. The closer I come to God, the less I desire to seek my sin. And this is where we fall short, I think, sometimes as Christians and even as a church, our teaching. We teach, do these things and don't do th- these things. What we need is Jesus and more Jesus. You start with Jesus and let Jesus start capturing your heart and our affections and you start changing the other things. The closer I come to God, the less I desire to seek my sin. The flip side, that's true also. The closer I come to sin, the less I desire to seek God. This is true, man. When I'm caught up in sin, I'm hiding my face from God. I'm not thinking about God. Don't want God. I desire my sin. I'm just being transparent with you all because I know you guys don't have this problem, right? So this is just me. Maybe if one or two of you resonate, praise God. But I found this to be true. The closer I come to God, the more I'm seeking Him, spending time with Him, the less I desire these things that I used to desire. But then when I start straying, I feel it. I feel it. So let me just give, give some feet to the sermon for us. Because we be doers of the word, not hearers only. I, I would hate for you to come and be like, man, that's some good information. Praise God. Listen, this is what we know is information has to lead to transformation. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our life. And so what do we do with this? I talk about check engine lights a lot. Check engine lights for your life. And as you know, check engine lights when it comes on your car means there's something wrong with your car. You got to get it checked out. Something's wrong and get it fixed. Piece of tape over it just hides it. Your car's still messed up, right? But we have check engine lights for our life. And so I talked about a minute ago, fear, frustrations, and failures. Those are ways to see some check engine lights in your life. When fear starts creeping in, you name it, anxiety, worry, fear, whatever you want to call it, that's a check engine light. Something's off in your faith focus. When you start getting frustrated, and usually, maybe for me, I get frustrated because I don't get what I want, whatever that is. I'm not getting what I want, so I get frustrated. Whether it's rest, or I want to do this thing, or this thing. When my perfect plans don't come to pass, I get frustrated. That's a check engine light. My faith has lost its focus. And my failures. 
when I stumble, when I fall short, when I do these things I don't want to do and I do these things I know that God doesn't want me to do or I don't do what he wants me to do and just because I'm just selfish, those are check engine lights. Your faith has lost focus because the Lord's presence brings none of those things. The Lord's presence doesn't bring fear. The Lord's presence doesn't bring frustration. The Lord's presence helps eliminate even your failures. Not that you're perfection, but we're becoming more and more like Christ. Man, praise God, I'm not the same Christian I was 20 years ago because of God's presence. And so let me give you two things with God's presence. Number one, God's presence brings power. You ever feel like your faith is powerless? God's presence brings power and also eliminates fear. This is the power of 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power. We sung it a minute ago, one of strength. His presence gives us strength. So if you have a whole bunch of fear and not a whole bunch of power, seek Lord's presence. Be desperate for him because he's the one that gives that. We don't have that power and that strength and that confidence in and of ourselves. But God gives it because of who he is in his presence. So God's presence brings power and the Lord's presence gives peace. Gives peace. Is your life peaceful? You have a constant peace. No matter what you go through, you just have peace. I was talking to someone earlier this week. There was a, a man in our old church, 80s. And he's just the man that I aspire to be like. Has dealt with several rounds of cancer, significant heart problems. But there's a constant peace he has through it all. Because of the Lord. The Lord is faithful. The Lord is unchanging. The Lord is steadfast, stable in his rock. And that has carried him through it all. And so as he's getting treatments, as he's in hospitals, he's telling everyone about Jesus. Because this life is passing. This life is temporary. But Jesus and that relationship is forever. I wonder, do you have that peace? Listen, I love some coffee cup sayings. I mean, some are very heretical, right? But some are very helpful. Have you seen those? But one simply says, and maybe you've seen it on t-shirts, no Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. You can flip-flop those. Basically, do you know Jesus? Do you trust Jesus because Jesus brings peace? But without Jesus, you don't have peace. And so those areas where you don't have peace in your life, check engine light, your faith has shifted. Because Jesus brings the peace. And this is exactly what we see. Isaiah 26, verse 3 says, You will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace. For it is trusting in you. God keeps the mind that is focused and dependent on Him in peace because it's trusting in who? God. It's not trusting in you, in your finances, in your career, in your family, in your friends. It's trusting on the Lord. All those things are shifting and changing and may even go away, but the Lord doesn't. But more importantly, and this is one of my life verse, because this, again, full transparency, I struggle with some anxiety. I struggle with worry. I don't like to, and I fight it. But it slips in. But Philippians 4, 6 and 7, talks about this peace. It says, don't worry about anything. Anybody have any worries? Stop it. 
That's what it's saying, right? Anything. It doesn't say, like, unless they're really bad, you can worry about those things. It says nothing. Don't worry about a thing. But in everything, so when you have worries, but in everything through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. It means cry out to the Lord. Seek His face. Seek His presence. And then verse 7 says this, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So are you lacking peace in your life? Perhaps there's a lack of God's presence in your life. God's presence brings peace. God's presence brings power. But we need that laser-type focus of our faith in the race that we run amidst all the distractions. And we have endless, endless obstacles in this faith, as we know. In this faith race, endless obstacles, endless distractions. Hebrews 12 puts it as hindrances. So what do we do? What do we do to focus our faith in this race that we're running? I love Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Something says, so if we have been raised with Christ, seek, seek, there's these, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand. And it says this in verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Isn't that just it? When worry, fear, stress comes in, it's because we're setting our minds, we're focusing our faith on things that go away, that perish, that fade, that fail. And we're not focusing our minds, setting our minds, our faith on the thing and the person that doesn't fail. He's in heaven, sitting, ruling, and reigning right now over all things, all the time, even your flat tire that's coming this week, or your health concerns, or your joys, or your stresses, he's still ruling and reigning, and it doesn't change. This is the good news of the gospel, and this is a relationship that we get to have through Christ Jesus only, with the creator of the universe. This is the good news that brings a boldness in a Psalm 27 and Romans 8 kind of way. Who should we fear? No one. Who can separate us from the love of God? No one because of Christ Jesus. I don't care what you're going through right now. I'm sure it's hard, but the truth doesn't change that God is still good and He's unchanging and He's with you through all the mess. So we seek the Lord's presence. So how do you do that? Three ways quickly. Pray. Pray. Pray as you go. Pray before you do the next thing. Pray when you celebrate. Pray when you're mad. Pray when you're sad. Pray, pray, and then we get tired of praying. You know what you should do? Pray again. Pray some more. Like this is the relationship that we have with God because we pray, not because we have to, because we get to. This is crazy. Like if we really knew, if we really understood that the creator of all the universe hears us and actually moves in our life when we pray to him because he's a good father and desires a relationship with the kids, it changes everything. Because if you think you have to, you're missing what prayer is. We get to. So we seek the Lord's presence by praying. We seek the Lord's presence through His Word. He's given us His Word. It should treasure, be a treasure in our lives. Like God's Word, the Bible is given to us, driven and given by the Holy Spirit to reveal who God is to us. And also to reveal ourselves to us. Because we see how amazing and how righteous and perfect that God is. And yet if we're honest and we approach the Bible in an honest way, we see that we have some failures and that we're lacking. 
And ultimately, we don't deserve the love that God's extended to us, but yet he did it anyway. Again, this is the good news of the gospel in that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. So we spend time in his word. Again, not because we have to, but we should want to, desire. Like God speaks through his spirit, through his word. So we spend time in prayer, his word, and one that's continued to be more and more neglected, and I, I'm convinced it will continue to drift this way, spending time in God's presence by way of God's people. You and I need to be around God's people. In the same room. We need this. There's a reason God established what he did in the life of a church. We need to be around each other. We need to prioritize time as word, time of prayer, and with time with others. And listen, I know the church, not this church, other churches. I mean, we have some weird cousins and some crazy uncles and all these different family dynamics in the life of a church, right? But we're still brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we work through any kind of disturbance, disruption, distraction, division. We work through it all because we have the most important thing in common that is Christ Jesus. If any people are unified in all the earth, it should be the church. Because we don't let this other garbage and nonsense that may be important at some levels, but is not as important as our relationship with Christ. But we need one another. God does a special work when we gather as his people in small groups and for worship that he won't do when you're by yourself. That's the way he designed us. But here's the, tr- the most encouraging thing, as I want to just leave and end with this. We're talking about seeking his presence, seeking his face. First Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9, simply says, If you seek him, he will be found by you. The promise. This is the good news. If you seek him, he will be found by you. My question for you, are you seeking him? This is for the first time and every other time after the first time. You come to faith simply by saying, Lord, I I need you. This is what faith is. God stirs in you to finally see that I've sinned and fallen short and I hate that and I see you. I see that somehow, some way, I don't understand it all, all the doctrines of salvation, doctrines of grace, but I know that you gave your life for me so that if I just believe that you did that for me, it counts for me, and now I've been transferred from unrighteous to righteous because of Jesus' righteousness, from death, because walking in my sins, living in my shame, dead in my sins and trespasses, but now in life in Christ Jesus, a new creation starts a new life at the moment you believe, and a life with Jesus lasts forever. This is what it means to seek him for the first time. And then for the first time, when you've experienced Jesus, you can't help but to continue to seek him for the rest of your life, to serve him, to follow him, to continue to seek him because he'll be found by you to draw close to him. And this is what the psalmist says, I just need you. I'm seeking your face, Lord. I will seek your face. And finally, he closes Psalm 27, I will wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord because I trust in you. So beginning right now, like Psalm 27 clearly says, let's begin to pray for God's presence in our life. And then watch God do amazing things. When you're dependent on the Lord, 
He will show up in amazing ways, but we have to start with a humility saying, Lord, I need you. I can't do this. This race, faith, faith of race, I need you. So that's my encouragement for us this morning, is to finally, truly, humbly come before the Lord at this moment and let this start this new day into this new week, into the rest of this year, in seeking the Lord's presence. This is not on Sunday morning. Sunday afternoon too, it's crazy, right? Maybe even Sunday evening, let it carry on to Monday. What would that look like? Continue to seek the Lord's face. Seek his presence because we need him. And he's gracious and good enough to say, yes, I'm there with you. I'm going to invite our worship band back up and I'm just going to invite you to respond to what God's doing in your life in this time as we gather as his people. And we can do that in various ways. And I encourage you to, with the freedom to respond to what God's doing. But we're going to sing one more song. I'm going to pray for us here in a minute and invite you to just be praying as the Lord lays those things that are intimate and specific to you on your heart. And you know what those are. Just be honest and transparent with Him. And then we're going to sing. And maybe your response is, as we sing, to stand and sing and to worship because He's worthy. That's a great and natural response to what the Spirit does in our life. But another great, natural, Spirit-filled response is also sitting there and praying and dealing with God's, what God's revealing to you. And it's crazy how when God interrupts our life, there's some blind spot that He often reveals because He's gracious and good and shows us, man, there's some sin areas that we have not addressed. And it's God's good work and drawing us closer to Himself by showing us things that are unhealthy or ungood, not good. Deal with those. Maybe there's people in this room that you've been holding tensions against or someone, a family member that you need to call after worship and just seek forgiveness, seek, seek reconciliation because God brings unity. As much as it depends on us, live at peace with those around us. I don't know what God's moving in your life, obviously, because God is so gracious and good that he works in individuals as we gather as his people. But Respond. We're going to have a prayer team to the side. We love to pray with you. You're not alone in this faith journey. We love to pray with you, walk alongside you. Listen, maybe you're coming to Jesus for the first time, like, you know, I've known a lot of facts, but now I have faith. I need Jesus. We love to pray with you. Maybe you're walking with Jesus, but like, you know what, I haven't really been following Jesus. We love to pray with you. What's that look like? Maybe for the first time, you haven't been baptized yet. That's your next step. To following Jesus. We'd love to walk with you, pray through you through biblical baptism and celebrate new life in Christ. Whatever God's doing, let's just respond. And just see the life that God brings in us, refreshing by his presence. Let me pray for us. I'd love you to pray with me and let's respond to God's moving in this place. Father, we thank you for bringing us here this morning. Lord, as we come here on this Sunday morning, we come here oftentimes with heavy hearts and many distractions and worries, anxieties, and fears. And right now, Lord, I just pray by your presence and the Holy Spirit moving in this place that you just refresh tired and weary minds and hearts and spirits, Father, that you just bring healing to those areas that we just need your presence and healing in, Father. Whether it's physical healing, emotional healing, we just pray for you just to move in ways that you know that we need. And we trust you in that, Father. Lord, continue to reveal yourself to us. Reveal our neediness for you, Father. Help us to not be 
leaning towards self-sufficiency. Remove any pride in our lives, Lord, and help us to just humbly approach you. And Lord, let revival start in this moment right now as we seek your presence. We need your presence, Father, and your presence will bring revival in our lives as individuals and as you revive us as individuals, Father. We know that you'll do a work in us collectively. So let's start now by humbly coming before you with anything and everything, laying it at your feet and say, Lord, here I am. I'm yours. I need you. I'm tired of living life on my own, my own ideas, my own strength. I can't do it. I need you. And Father, right now, I just ask that your power and your peace just washes over us, Father, as we focus on you and give us the strength to run this race of faith with a laser-type focus on Jesus. Because we need you. We thank you, Father, for this moment, bringing us to this place in this time. We thank you for your word. And Lord, lead us by the power of your Holy Spirit to follow you well starting right now, dependent on you. We thank you, Father. We pray all this in the name that's above every other name that is the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.